Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Ancient Greece. Chapter 38. Greece implodes. The winners of the Battle of Leuctra were extremely pleased with themselves. Pelopidas and Epaminondas had led Thebes to the top of the pile. There was a new power in town, and the new power intended to stay in power for a long, long time. In this chapter, we will find out whether Thebans succeeded in their aims. The title of the chapter probably gives you a bit of a clue. Over in Athens, the Athenians were doing their usual thing. And what was that? Well, they looked around at their fellow Greeks and began to worry about who was looking the strongest. As we know, Athens always felt that it had the right to be the most important and powerful of the polys. They didn't like it when another city took over. Also, Athens needed access to the Black Sea and the rich farmland there. Having the new power north of them and closer to the Black Sea than they were made the Athenians nervous. Athens decided that Sparta was no longer the problem and it needed to start plotting against Thebes. The Athenians decided they needed an ally close to Thebes. They made contact with Jason of Thessaly, leader of the region just north of Boeotia. Feeling they'd made an ally, they decided not to say well done to the Thebans after the Battle of Leuctra. Sadly for the Athenians, their double dealing did them no good. When he learned about the Theban victory, Jason sent troops and great congratulations and then allied himself with Thebes against Sparta. Athens was left alone again. Oh, this is getting a bit complicated. Pelopidas and Epaminondas marched around Greece and into the Peloponnese. There, they persuaded the cities of the old Spartan League to rebel against Sparta and either ally with Thebes or strike out on their own. They helped rebuild the city of Mantinea, which had been destroyed by Sparta. They marched around the Spartan lands, destroying the farmland, just as the Spartans had done in Attica during the Peloponnesian War. By 369 BC, they stood under the walls of Sparta itself. The old king, Agesilaus, was still on the throne in Sparta. He realised that a lot of what was happening was his own fault, and was determined to turn the tide. He had boasted that no Spartan woman would ever have to see the smoke of an enemy's fire. With the Thebans camped outside his city, he knew he had not kept his vow. He vowed, therefore, he'd never let the proud city fall. Pelopidas and Epaminondas were cleverer than that. They knew the walls of the city were too strong, and they weren't going to waste their time in a siege. What they did, though, damaged Sparta nearly as much. They wandered over to Messenia, the area from which the Spartans took their helots. They persuaded the Messenians that they were better than that, they didn't need to be Spartan slaves any more. They helped the Messenians build their own city and become independent of their masters. Sparta was at its lowest point ever. It had lost the leadership of the Greek world, it had also lost its farmland, its empire, and now its helots. Pelopidas and Epaminondas, on the other hand, were at the height of their power. After bringing Sparta to its knees, they marched back up to Thebes in triumph, ready to be re-elected as generals so they could carry on winning. They marched into the city to the sound of cheers and the sight of grateful people waving flags, and were promptly arrested. As we have seen before, there is just one problem with being a successful general, fighting for your city in foreign lands. It gives your enemies time to plot against you. The two great Thebans were accused of not returning early enough to be re-elected. They had therefore led the army illegally for a year. 
It was all too much for Pelopidas. He broke down and cried, and was never quite the same again. Epaminondas, though, was made of stronger stuff. He turned and faced the court, and described his triumphs. He told them of the freeing of the helots and the building of new cities. He told them how he persuaded the cities of Arcadia to rebel against Sparta and form a league of their own. He told them how he had brought Sparta to its knees and raised Thebes to new heights. By the end of his speech, the judges were laughing at how ridiculous the charges were. Epaminondas turned and strode out of the court without even bothering to hear the verdict. He was, of course, found not guilty. But after that, there was chaos across Greece. Let's hear it implode. The next summer, Epaminondas marched south to ravage Spartan lands again, but found himself up against the combined armies of Athens and Sparta. He didn't get within sight of the Spartan walls this time. When he got back to Thebes, Epaminondas was again accused of an offence and was demoted from being a general to being a normal soldier. Meanwhile, Pelopidas marched north and allied with the new king of Thessaly, Alexander, who had assassinated Jason, and allied with him against Macedon. He was successful and forced a treaty on Macedon which made it an ally of Thebes. The Macedonian king, who made the alliance though, was assassinated. The new king was not so keen on the truce and decided he needed Pelopidas' mercenaries to change sides. He bribed them with large wads of cash. Pelopidas quickly had to negotiate a new truce and found himself changing sides so he was now allied with Macedon against Thessaly. He marched in support of the Macedonian army and faced Alexander of Thessaly in battle. The formerly great general was captured by Alexander and condemned to death. Given that Alexander had a history of dressing people in bearskins and watching them be torn apart by dogs, Pelopidas was unlikely to last too long. One small but important thing happened as part of this chaos in Greece. A young Macedonian noble called Philip was given by the Macedonians as a hostage during the peace negotiations. He was sent to Thebes and happened to end up working for none other than Epaminondas. He learned an awful lot from the great man, learning which would be very useful to him in years to come. Anyway, back to the implosion. Pelopidas was in prison in Thessaly and Epaminondas had been demoted. Thebes was wobbling. Athens was still wondering which way to turn, and Sparta was pondering how to get back the helots and some form of power. Into this mess strode our old friends the Persians, who called all of the Greeks together to a peace conference at Delphi. At the conference, the Spartans demanded that the helots be returned, Messenia be destroyed, and Thebes disband the Boeotian Confederacy. The Thebans simply laughed and walked out. Sparta pretended to be amazed by the Thebans throwing a massive tantrum and offered to become the policemen of Greece again. The Persians agreed, but only sent a few troops to help, not nearly enough to enforce anything. Thebes found itself faced with an alliance of Athens, Sparta and Thessaly and the Persians. The Theban leaders realised they needed one of their great generals back, so they sent a force to Thessaly to free Pelopidas. The attempt failed. One of the soldiers sent to fight was Epaminondas. When the Thebans realised they had failed, they knew they had to put Epaminondas back in charge of the army again. This they did, and Epaminondas went to work. He sent notes into Thessaly, basically proclaiming how great he was, and how Alexander better let Pelopidas go, or else. 
Amazingly, it worked. Epaminondas' reputation was so great that Pelopidas was released. Pelopidas was sent to Persia, where he managed to persuade the Persians to support Thebes and not Sparta. He came back with a peace treaty. Unfortunately, the peace treaty said that Athens wasn't allowed to sail its great navy, and Sparta could never have the helots back. Both Athens and Sparta laughed and ripped it up. The implosion was gathering pace. Epaminondas marched back to the Peloponnese and helped the Arcadian Confederacy against Sparta. He had more cities built, including a very large one known as Megalopolis. Sparta, once master of the Peloponnese, was now surrounded by other walled cities. Athens fought with Thessaly and Macedon over the rights to some fertile lands on the north coast of the Aegean. Over time, the slippery Athenians formed and broke alliances with Thessaly, Persia and Macedon as they tried to get what they wanted. The Macedonians kept assassinating their kings and replacing them. The cities of Asia Minor kept revolting against Persia. It was total and utter chaos. Pelopidas led an army against Thessaly in revenge for being taken captive. He was always a brave man, and he was intent upon killing the Thessalian king himself. In the middle of the battle he strode murderously towards Alexander. He never stood a chance. Before he could strike, he was set upon by Alexander's bodyguards. It was 364 BC. One of the two great heroes of Thebes was dead. The funeral of Pelopidas briefly stopped the Greeks fighting each other. All were agreed he was a great man and deserved respect. Pretty soon, though, they were all back at it. In Arcadia, a new kind of trouble was brewing. The Arcadian Confederacy was having problems with the city of Elis, home of the Olympic Games. To finance a war against Elis, they used the gold and silver left in the sacred sanctuary of Olympia. The gold had been left for the gods, and using it was a terrible crime against them. The city of Mantinea, one of the cities built by Thebes, objected and a new conflict started. This little local conflict became a national war when Sparta and Athens sided with the Arcadians and Thebes joined in with Mantinea. Epaminondas led his troops southward to the Peloponnese and joined up with the Arcadians. He was at the head of a powerful army of 30,000 men. Against him were 22,000 Athenians, Spartans and allies. Amazingly, the Spartans were led by King Agesilaus, who must have been very, very old by now. Epaminondas was the greatest general of his time, always full of great ideas. He instructed his cavalry to kick up dust so the enemy couldn't see which of his troops were stationed where. He remembered Leuctra and stationed his best troops on the left wing. This meant that he and his most capable soldiers would directly face the Spartans. Epaminondas smiled to himself and looked forward to the battle. He was confident of yet another victory. He was justified in his confidence. The Theban hoplites on the left wing routed the Spartans and drove them back. The Thebans fought with all of their might and definitely had the better of the battle. Unfortunately, two of their leaders were killed. And then the unthinkable happened. Epaminondas was struck down while leading the troops in their attack. He was pulled alive from the battlefield and was taken back to the camp but it was clear he wasn't going to make it. He was told about the deaths of the two other generals, and he gave his last order. It was time, he said, to agree a peace treaty. Although the Thebans had won the Battle of Mantinea, they had no great leaders left. 
Everyone went home with nothing resolved. Nothing had been settled, and nothing had been ended. The great historian Xenophon was so appalled by the whole thing that he never wrote another word. He put down his pen for good, declaring he was disgusted by what Greece had done to itself. Everyone was weak. Everyone needed time to recover. Everyone needed to keep the peace. But implosions have a horrible habit of carrying on under their own steam. This one was no different. The Greeks fought each other in Sicily. They fought each other in Asia Minor. They fought each other on mainland Greece. Athens sent ships to Asia Minor to persuade the cities to ally with it. Thebes sent ships to persuade them to ally with Thebes. The Persians sided with Thebes, and then Athens, and then neither. Athens fought against the Persians for control of land on the Black Sea coast. It fought against the Thracians and the Macedonians for land on the Aegean coast. Thebes had lost its great leaders, and although still powerful, had stopped trying to control the rest of Greece. Sparta had lost the Helots and its position as the scariest and most powerful of the Polys. By 355 BC, the implosion was complete. It was time for the Greeks to work together at last, or the whole nation was there to be conquered. Either the democracies of Greece agreed how they could come closer and cooperate, or surely one power was going to rise up and rule over them all. So, which was it to be? Would the Greeks work together? Well, no, of course not. They failed to agree on anything and opened the door for someone to rise up and rule over them all. It was just a question of whether there was anyone capable of leading his own people to conquer the rest of the Greeks. Well, it just so happened that there was. Up in the north, a new king had recently come to the throne. The king had experience of the best of the Greek generals and a great respect for how the Greek hoplites fought. After all, he'd been a hostage in Thebes and had spent three years with Epaminondas. He had learned well and he was ambitious. Pretty soon the rest of the Greek world would come to realise just how ambitious, as one by one their armies faced the might of Philip II of Macedon. Next week we will sit back and take a ride with Philip II as he marches through Greece, conquering everything in sight. Until then, have a great week and I'll speak to you next time.